This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg On the bottom of page 714, the last paragraph, he explained that there's two types of energies. There's an energy which is called Sevev Kalalman, the all-encompassing energy that we don't sense and we don't grasp. Not because it's not there, not because it's not our life and our energy in the center of our being, but because it's beyond our grasp. We don't sense it, we don't, it's not revealed to us. Versus the energy that is revealed to us. The energy that is revealed to us is a minute, the tiniest drop, the, the tip of the tip of the iceberg. That's what we see, that's what we sense, that's what we feel. The life force that animates us, the life force that we're conscious of, is actually a very limited life force. Consciousness, awareness, understanding, comprehension, feeling, emotions. The, this thought, speech, action, this is, all in a, this is all very external, very superficial. There's a whole depth inside of us that we're total, totally oblivious to, our subconscious. 99% of the human organism, of the human body, happens unselfconsciously. The infinitely complex processes that happens every moment and every split second, there are thousands of things that happen simultaneously in our bodies. It's exquisitely coordinated. And this is all totally beyond our knowledge, beyond our awareness, beyond our conscious knowledge. Not because it's not taking place. It's, this is, this is, it's happening within us as we speak, but we're totally unaware of it. What are we aware of? What we're aware of is the minutest, the most insignificant, the most superficial, the most external, that's what we're aware of. That's our conscious life. And that's our um, arena of operation. We operate within the conscious, the conscious mind. Thoughts, ideas, concepts, words. Words are very linear. Words are very slow. You know, if you had to speak, if you had to describe in words what happens in your body in one split second, it would take you a million years. We are completely unaware. With all our science, with all our awareness, of our whole understanding of medicine, of what takes place, the organs of our body, we haven't even scratched the surface. It's so infinitely complex. And yet our body knows all of it 100%. But we are oblivious to it. We are unaware of it. We can't grasp it. We can't put it into words. It's a sense that goes beyond words. But that's what we call save of Kalaman. And he explains. It doesn't mean literally that God is around us, above us. The God is transcendent, that God is otherworldly, that God is in heaven, that God is up there, out there, way out there, but it has nothing to do with me. No, it's Seva of Kalman, it penetrates me, it's my core, it's my essence, it's the center of my being, it's all around me, it's within me. This is really the real dynamics that's really going on. The only reason I call Seva of Kalman is because I don't, I'm not aware of it. I can't grasp it, I don't have the tools with the grasp of it. My conscious mind is so limited. 
but it could only understand concepts, linear concepts, word for word, one letter at a time, one word at a time. While the way the body really works, it's, 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 it's trillions of things happening in one split second. It's totally beyond our uh, human mind or conscious mind, beyond our ability to even grasp. So we're totally unaware of it. It feels like it, but it's totally beyond us. It's totally beyond us. The only time we get a glimpse of it is, as it says, Wisdom comes from nothing. Wisdom, which is the origin of consciousness, the creativity, the creative moment, the eureka moment, when a thought pops into your head, that's the window to the soul. That's the Kohen. He's the top of the line. He's the top of the hierarchy of consciousness. The Kohen represents the Chachma, the wisdom. Because the Kohen is the one who has a window to the soul. Because when this idea pops into your head, it seems out of nowhere. Suddenly an idea pops into your head. A brilliant idea. A brilliant flash of lightning, a bolt of lightning. Suddenly you were puzzled, you were, you were confused, you were confounded, you had no way out, and suddenly the idea comes to you, and you have the answer, the resolution. Where did it come from? It's a revelation. It's a stunning revelation. It's exciting. Where did it come from? I have no idea. It seems like out of nowhere. A bolt of lightning. Suddenly something popped into my head. A brilliant idea popped into my head. This creative idea. Where did this idea come from? I have no idea. Where does it come from? It comes from within you. Your subconscious. But it's a reality that's happening within us and we're totally oblivious of it. We're totally unaware of it. That's what we call save of Kalama. That's why it's called save of Kalama. Our subconscious save of Kalama because it's beyond us. It's beyond our ability to grasp, to sense... All we sense is our consciousness, beginning with creativity, and then we analyze it, and then we integrate it, and then we evokes emotions. I love, I hate, I'm attracted, I'm repulsed, compassion. All of these, emo- all of these are the surface, the consciousness. That's, but that's just a minute. It's almost like taking a three-dimensional reality and projecting it on, on two dimensions. What do you end up with? You end up with a cartoon. That's a cartoon. Take a three-dimensional reality and project it on the surface. Two dimensions. So that inner, inner life, that inner depth that's so colorful and so deep and so profound and so infinite and transcendent, we're blissfully unaware of. What are we aware of? We're just aware of just the surface, the consciousness. That's the, the function of the mind. The function of a conscious mind is not to take in information. No. The function of a conscious mind is to filter out information. Because otherwise, information is infinite. Our subconscious absorbs so much information that it would just overwhelm us. So the function of the mind is like to take the ocean and stop the ocean and reduce the ocean to a little trickle through a pipe, a faucet. A faucet, I can can fill up the cup, I can... Open the faucet, I can close the faucet. Chachma, Bina, I can open the faucet, I can close the faucet. But imagine if you had to take it directly from the ocean. <laughs> it would overwhelm you, you would flood, it would flood you, it would drown you. Because, and this is why the prophet, the prophet is called a madman. In, in, the, in the Navi, in the Nevi'im, the prophet is called Meshuggah. Because what is a madman? Not every madman is a prophet. <laughs> but the prophet is called a madman. Why? Because a madman is someone who is born without this filter. He doesn't have this filter. The prophet doesn't have this filter. We, our life, our reality is like 
it's like two dimensional in comparison to the soul's inner life, the inner dynamic. It's really happening behind the scenes. The soul is so colorful and so deep and so profound and so spiritual. The soul is in tune with the godliness, the divine energy that's pulsating throughout us, throughout the universe, around us. And the godliness that's all within us and all around us, the soul sees it. But we don't see it. It's like taking the three-dimensional person and reducing him to a cartoon. Our emotions are like pale in comparison to what the soul really experiences. And what do we see and what do we sense? We only see the material, the physical. To us, the world appears to be fragmented, rigid, external, superficial. But nothing could be further than the truth. The truth is the world is dynamic, the world is vibrant, the world is alive, pulsating with the divine energy. And godliness is constantly creating and transforming itself into the godly energy that's constantly transforming itself into everything that exists. The soul sees it, we don't. So we are like a cartoon figure in comparison to our real emotions, our real depth that we carry inside of us. And all we care about is paying a bill, getting ahead, money, power, fame, ego, externals. The prophet, the tzaddik, he doesn't have the screen. He can't relate to it. He doesn't understand how people get so excited about money, power, fame, indulgence. This is what you live for. This is what life is. Material pleasure, material indulgence, money, power, fame. He couldn't care less about any of this because he was born without the filter. He was born without the screen. He, send, he lives life very deeply, very painfully and very deeply and very joyfully. He lives life to the full. He senses the godliness. He senses the save of Kalaman, the transcendent energy, the divine energy that's within us and all around us. He is in tune with, it, with that three-dimensional reality that none of us are in tune with. That's what makes him the tzaddik, one or two in every generation. That's why he's a prophet. Many times the prophets were lonely voices in the wilderness. No one paid attention to them. Everyone was too busy with their, you know, with their bills. Everyone was too busy with their dreary, ordinary, mundane, materialistic lives. While he was a godly person. His whole being was godly. That's the definition of a tzaddik. Someone who's not even tempted to do anything wrong. Not only doesn't do anything wrong, he's not even tempted because he's in tune with a deeper reality. Once in a while, we get a glimpse of this reality. On Shabbos, on Yom Tif, on a holiday, when you're standing at the wall for the first time in your life, when you're the day of your marriage, moments in your life that you get a glimpse of that, that depth, of that transcendent reality, of a different reality that connects you to all past, present, future, you get a sense of eternity. It's a moment that can transform your life and you'll remember it forever. But on the whole, we don't live, we don't operate in that dimension. We don't operate on that level. But that's what we call Seva Kalam. It's a transcendent reality, but not because it's somewhere else, up there. It's within us. It is us. But we don't sense it. We are oblivious to it. All we sense is the two-dimensional reality, our conscious selves. Reality of words, letters, concepts, and that's all we can grasp. That's all we're able to grasp. On the bottom of page 714. Therefore, since the world belongs in the order of the fin finite and limited, it follows that only an extremely minute and contracted reflection of the flow of the infinite light of, of, of the blessed Ein Sof clothes and manifests 
itself in them in a revealed form. And this only to animate them in a finite and revealed state. In order for creation to come about there must necessarily at least some glimmer of godly illumination. Albeit in an extremely limited form, for this enables creation to be finite and bounded. But the principal light that is without contraction to such an extent is called makif, in French, encerclé, and sauver, encompassing, since its influence is not revealed within the world in as much as, as much as they belong in the order of the finite and the limited. Everything must have a divine spark. And as we said earlier, but it's completely hidden. It's there. You sense that you're alive. You sense the energy. But you don't make the connection that it's a divine energy, that it's a godly energy. You see life. We sense life. We sense the life within us. We feel vibrant, we feel alive, we love energy, we're looking for energy, and we sense that we're alive. But you don't sense that it's divine. You see the animal life, you see life, you see the tree grows, and you're very moved. People you know, are very moved by it, but you don't sense the divine. You don't make the connection, you don't see the divine, uh, the divinity of the energy. But there's, so there's a glimmer, there is a little life, there's a little energy. But it's completely concealed, screened, contracted, and there's only a, a glimmer, a tiny a glimmer of illumination. Okay, and now he's going to give a parable to help illustrate this point. By way of illustration, the Alter Rebbe will now draw an analogy from the physical earth, which is composed of the inanimate and vegetable worlds. These two categories are the least significant of the four categories, man, animal, the vegetative, and the inanimate. And the divine life force found within them is contracted to a greater degree than the life force found within animal and man. Nevertheless, scripture attests that the whole world is full of God's glory because it encompasses these two categories and does not pervade them. When you look at a tree, or you look at the inanimate, you look at a stone, you don't sense the divine. But nevertheless, it says, God's glory encompasses all of the world. God is all around us, within us and all around us. And he permeates every aspect of existence, including the lowest two elements, which is the organic life as well as the inanimate life. Okay, continue to illustrate this point. To illustrate this point, consider this material world, even though the world is full of his glory. Namely, not only with the minute glimmer of godliness, but with the infinite light of the blessed and self, as it is written, do I not fulfill, do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. Hashem says, I myself, I myself fill the world. Not only my energy, a glimmer of a ray, I myself, a nimalit. I fill all the worlds. I am here. I am present within all the worlds. This was actually a very controversial concept. 
the idea that Hashem Himself, Hashem Himself fills all the worlds. This was actually d- disputed. Some Kabbalists argue that the idea of Timsum, when Hashem contracted Himself, what it means is that He literally removed Himself from this world. It's to be taken literally. When the verse says that I fill all the worlds, it's not to be taken literally. Because God is not present. God, so to speak, removed himself from this world. When the Arizal said, taught us the concept of Timsum, that God contracted himself, that is to be taken literally. That God literally removed himself from this world. Contracted himself and removed himself from this world. Then, there was, that was the Vilna Goyen's position. This was the position of the Misnagdim, of those who opposed the Hasidic movement, and based on some early Kabbalists, some of the, the students of the Arizal who interpreted the Arizal in that way, that it means literal. I refer you to the gates, the second part of the Tanya, the gateway of unity <laughs> and faith, chapter 7. Over there, he discusses at great length. You can find it in LessonsInTanya.com. Over there, he discusses at great length this whole argument between the Hasidim and the Misnagdim, between Tzimtzum, if Tzimtzum is literally or Tzimtzum is not literally. Um, the students of the Vilna Goyen did not totally agree. His greatest student of Chaim Velazhna did not agree with his Rebbe. And he said, no, God, there is no Tzimtzum. God is literally present everywhere. But he does learn that the symptom is literal when it comes to God's projection, God's infinite light that we learned the other weeks. That God's infinite light, God did remove his infinite light from, from this world. From, yeah. And the Baal Shem Tev said no. The Baal Shem Tev taught, and the Rebbe explains, that symptom is not literal. God did not leave this world not only God's essence didn't leave this world, even God's infinite light, His projection did not leave this world. There is no change from before creation and after creation. Nothing changes. God is present. Now, we have to understand, we're not talking about something physical. You know, For us to leave, you leave the room, you're no longer present in the room. When we say that God is not present, what does that mean? We're not talking about anything physical. So to use an analogy, a human analogy, take within the human body, the human being. Where is, your, where is the place where the intellect manifests itself? The place of intellect within the human being is where? In your mind, in your brain. Is your brain in your hand? No. Does your hand comprehend an idea? No. Comprehension is in the brain. So your ability to comprehend is in the brain and not in the heart. It's not present in the heart. It's present in the brain. That's the place where comprehension, the ability to feel emotions, is in the heart. Not in your brain. Emotions are in the heart. You love. You're passionate. You feel. This is the heart. So... When you say that God is not here, it's like, you know, 2 plus 2 is 4, is, is, belongs in that world, and it's not present in, in another world. We're not talking about physical space. We're not talking about anything physical. But just like 2 plus 2 is 4 is a concept that belongs 
to that world. And, and it doesn't belong, to, it does not present in a different world, in a different mathematical space, so to speak. So when God removed himself, what you're saying is that, that in this physical world, that's not where God is manifest, that's not where God, God is present. In the physical, in earth, in, in a stone, in a, in a tree, in, in an animal, in a human being, this physical world, God removed himself, so to speak, from this world. And he is not present in this world. Of course, God runs this world, and everything in this world is by divine providence. These are Jews who believe in God, and believe that God runs this world, and God is aware of everything that happens in this world, down to the amoeba. God is in control of the world. But the analogy is like a king sitting in his palace, and from his palace he watches and observes the entire world. So God is sitting respectfully in his palace, in his royal palace, and God is watching the world, and he runs this world, and he controls the world. But to say that God himself, the king himself, is present in a, in a piece of earth, God himself is present in the stone and in, in, the, in the tree and in everything that exists, how can you say that? It's not respectful to God, to say that God is right. Because the stone is finite. The stone is limited. The tree is limited. It has a limited energy. So how can you say that God who is infinite is in the tree? Finite and infinity are two different worlds. Just like the brain, the ability to comprehend is in the brain, not in the heart. So God's infinite self is not found in, in a finite place. Especially not found in a coarse place. A world that's not only finite and limited, but a world that's the antithesis of anything spiritual. A very coarse place, an earthy place, a crass place. You're going to say the king is in the bathroom? It's not respectful. God is found in the toilet. That's what God has found. God is everywhere. There's no space empty of God. I am present in this world, this physical, limited, not only finite and limited world, which only has a tiny energy, a little bit of energy. What is the energy? What is the life force of the stone? Nothing. It doesn't move. It doesn't budge. It doesn't grow. Its only energy is that it exists. And what's the energy of this tree? That it grows. The grass, it grows. It doesn't, in one place, it grows. But that's, it's a very limited energy. So to say that the infinite is found in that tree, the infinite is found in that piece of stone, in that, in that grain of sand, that's what it means. God is not found there. The infinite is not in the finite. It seems very logical. But the Baal says, no, it's a big mistake. The Arizal, don't take the Arizal literally. The Arizal says, Simpson, God contracted himself. That doesn't mean God removed himself. Not only didn't God remove himself, he didn't even remove his infinite light. When the verse, when the Pasuk says, God says that I fill the world, that is literally. That God's infinite self fills the world. You can find the infinite in everything. And although it's counterintuitive, but modern physics has proven the Balshamtav right. Because the whole revolution of modern physics is that you can find the infinite in the tiniest. Not only in that grain of, uh, grain of uh, sand, in that atom, the tiniest 
you can find the infinite. If you approach it properly, it's infinite. It has infinite potential, infinite energy. You can split that atom, you can have inexhaustible, infinite energy. Because God is, God is in everything. The infinite, the God fills all the worlds. Nothing changed. The only change between before the Timsum and after the Timsum is only from our perspective. It's not that God contracted himself or limited himself or hid himself or removed himself. No. But it's like God hid from us. We don't see it. But nothing changed. It's like God is concealed. We don't sense it. It's from our perspective. It's like that one-way, one-way glass. You see from your end, but you can't see in, inside. So from God's perspective, there is no, there is no, there is no boundary. There's no limit. God is, God's, nothing changes. From our perspective, suddenly there's a glass. There's a glass ceiling, there's a glass window. We can't, we're limited. We can't, we can't, uh, we can't access it. But it's only our perspective. It's like what happens when you close your eyes. What happened, what happened to your ability to see? Did it change? No. I just closed my eyes. I'm not seeing now. Nothing changed. When you grow numb, all of a sudden, you know, you sit on your hand and your hand grows numb. You don't feel anything, right? Okay, you, you give it a minute and your, your blood comes back. Now, what happens when you went numb? Your hand went dead on you? No, your hand didn't die on you. Because if it, it's not resurrection. It's not like you resurrected the hand. It just it grew numb. And then the blood comes back and you're able to feel. So even when you weren't feeling, even when you were numb, you were still alive. Nothing changed. It only changed that you didn't sense it. You don't sense that life. So... It's like when a person remembers something by heart, right? You know, you learn the entire tractate by heart. And the whole tractate, the whole Talmudic tractate is in your head, and you can summon it in the moment. You can recall it in the moment. But right now, I'm not thinking about it. I'm thinking about something else. So consciously, I, I'm not thinking about it. I don't have the words. I don't have the letters. I'm not consciously thinking about this tractate right now. But since you can recall it in one split second, in one instant, that means even when I'm not thinking about it, it's here. It's just a question, it's revealed, or it's not revealed. When it's a question of revealed, it's not revealed, nothing changes. The thing that's revealed, or the thing that's concealed, it's sitting there. It hasn't changed. You don't see it. Now it's revealed. You see, it's like a treasure. A treasure was covered, and you don't see the treasure. You open it up, and the treasure is there. Did the treasure change? Nothing changed. It's not like something moved from here to there. Everything else, when you bring water, when you draw water from the reservoir, you have to physically take the water, and transfer the water from the reservoir to your sink, to your cup. So you have to physically move the water from the so you're transferring. Even light. The windows are shut. Shuttered. It doesn't let light in. The room is pitch black. You open the window, the light comes in. Before there was not light. It's not that you revealed something that was in the room. Before the room was dark. There was no light in the room. I open the window, I let the light in. So also there's been a transfer, there's been a transmittal, there's been a movement, there's been a change. Before the room had no light, and now the room is light. So there's been a change from before and after. But if the treasure is sitting under your bed, under your floor you had a treasure sitting there, and you were not you were oblivious to it, sitting right under your nose, a buried treasure, a hundred million dollars of pearls are sitting right under your nose. You're oblivious to it. And suddenly... For some reason, you dug up and you discovered the treasure. Did the treasure change before and after? There was no change. Just you were totally oblivious to it. And now suddenly, you open your eyes and you saw it. 
That's not called a change. That's what it means. Symptom is not literal. It doesn't mean that God removed himself, that the light is no longer here, or God's essence, God forbid, is no longer here, or even God's projection and God's infinite light is no longer here or present. No. There's absolutely no change from before and after. The treasure is here. God remains here. God's infinite light permeates and pervades every grain of sand, every amoeba, every aspect of creation is a reflection of the infinite. Nothing changed. If you approach it properly, it has infinite potential, infinite capacity. You can tap the infinite if you approach it correctly. But you don't see it. What do you see? All I see is a grain of sand. It's like the physicist takes a piece of uranium. What does he see in this piece of uranium? He sees a nuclear energy. You can light up New York City with this little piece of metal. What do we see in a piece of uranium? Clop cup in <laughs> You see a piece of metal. You can bang your head into it. What do you see? You see nothing. Does it change the reality? The reality is that this piece of uranium, if you approach it properly, you can light up the whole New York City with it. So it's, it's, but it was hidden. It was concealed. Before modern physics, we had no idea. Did anything change? We didn't create anything. We just discovered all these hidden energies that were here that's available, quantum mechanics, the laser, electricity, we were totally oblivious to it. We had no idea. Not that it's not here. We had no idea. That's the idea of Tzimtzum. The idea of Tzimtzum is we look at the world and we just see a finite, fragmented, materialistic world that's very limited and tangible and even coarse and crass. And that's the, world, that's the way the world appears to us. But nothing could be further than the truth. That's from our very human, finite, limited perspective. But the truth is, from the other side of the glass, from God's point of view, nothing changed. God filled the world before He created the world. God fills the world presently. God is here. It's immediate. It's actual. It's real. It's right before us. It's within us. It's all around us. This changes your whole perspective. So the idea of symptom, of course there's a symptom, And of course, God contracted and limited himself and screened himself and to the extent that we don't sense, we don't see. It's hidden. But that's all it is. It's hidden. Nothing changed. God is completely present within us. Just like in the human body. Yes, the ability of, to understand and comprehend is limited to the brain. And it's in the brain, and it's not in the arm, and it's not in the heart. The ability to feel emotional, to feel love, and to feel excited is in the heart. It's not in the brain. Every organ has its vessel. But how about the fact that we're alive? The sense of life. That every cell in our body is alive. Is there a difference between the toenail and the brain and the heart? And all? Every, our back, our front, every part of us is alive. That's an all-encompassing life force, all-encompassing energy that exists within us that's present all over the body. It doesn't have any organ. It doesn't have, it's not limited to a certain organ. You know, the subconscious, the ability to speak, the ability to, to the will, the desire. You want to move your hand, and you move your hand automatically. It doesn't have to go through a process. You don't have to first digest it consciously through your conscious mind. Okay, I want to move my legs. I want to go. Okay, let me, let me study this for a minute. And then direct your heart, okay, tell, order, command the legs to move. It doesn't work that way. You want to move, and you move, and you walk. you have any idea what happens, how many muscles are involved when you move your leg? You know what a miracle it is to move a leg? Try teaching someone, God forbid, who has a stroke, who, who, who has forgotten to, to, forgotten to walk. You know how difficult it is to teach someone to walk? 
You know how many muscles are involved in the act of walking? Try to teach someone who can't chew, who can't swallow. It's almost impossible. You know how difficult it is every time we swallow? Try to teach someone who can't speak. You think learning violin is difficult? Try to teach someone consciously, someone who can't do it automatically. Try to teach someone how to speak. It, it's like pulling teeth. And yet we, we do all of the above just so smoothly, totally unaware. Oh, you want to move? You move. How, what, when, where? We're clueless. It, the soul bypasses the conscious mind. You don't even need your conscious mind. Because your desire, your willpower, your soul is everywhere. Every point of your body. So when you want to move, your body moves. And it knows exactly what to do. And all these infinitely complex processes, it knows exactly what to do. Without your control, without your awareness. You're completely oblivious to it. So your soul is in every part of your body. Your soul is not limited. This infinite part of the soul the undefined, infinite part of the soul, the subconscious that's completely beyond our consciousness, is found everywhere. There's no limited organ for it. It's every, every point of your body is alive. Every point of your body it has will and it has pleasure. And your soul expresses itself in every part of its body and completely bypasses your conscious mind. This is what he calls the all-encompassing light. So the infinite is in every point of your body. Your soul is in every point of your body. And your conscious self, our conscious self, is just a very finite and limited part, extremely limited part of our self. But that doesn't scratch the surface of what's really going on. It doesn't exhaust who you really are. And that infinite side is within us. Every part of us. Even though we don't sense it. We may be completely oblivious to it. But it's there. So that's a parable, that's, an under, that's how we understand the idea of tzimtz. Because we are a microcosm. What's true on our personal level we are, is true on a global level. That the divine energy, there's two types of divine energies that creates and sustains the world. There is the all-encompassing light, the surrounding light, the transcendent light, which is the central light, which is really the, the whole dynamics of life. That, that is really the main energy, but we don't sense it at all. And then you have the life that we are conscious of, that we're able to sense and grasp. We see the tree growing, we see the grain of sand exists, with all its characteristic traits, we see the animals roaming around, we see a human life, and that's what we're aware of. You know, there was a, uh, the daughters of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, they were children, and um, they were having a discussion. They were having a hard time relating to the idea of angels. You know that, that there are other dimensions of reality that are beyond beyond the, our human comprehension. And their grandfather, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, or Dover, gave them a parable. He says there were once two professors that were traveling. They weren't like Nobel Prize winners. They were like very special, world-class professors who were traveling to a world conference in Vienna. And they spent their time traveling, discussing the breakthroughs in modern physics and the, you know, the cutting edge of the sciences and all the, the thinking and the intellectual agitation at the time, etc. Now, there are three, three creatures traveling to this conference. 
there's these two scientists, there's the wagon driver, <laughs> and there are the horses. Every one of them is occupied. Every one of them is thinking, looking forward to they arrive in Vienna. The professors are thinking about the conference, <laughs> these brilliant ideas, the interaction they're going to have with the world's best minds, the best ideas, and they just can't wait to get there. The wagon driver can't, get, can't wait to get to the big city because that bar, his favorite bar in the world, the modern city, he can't wait to go to his bar and, and whatever the, ever, everything that comes with it. And the horses can't wait to get to Vienna because the hay in Vienna is very special. <laughs> when, they, when they arrive in Vienna, they're going to be treated royally. It's not, it's not like the little shtetl, you know, where they're treated here. They, they, you know, they're treated royally. So he says, just because the horses are thinking hay, that means that the professor's conference doesn't exist, that the professors don't exist. No, to the horse, that's his whole world. His whole world is about one thing. He has one thing in his mind. What am I going to eat? <laughs> How am I going to survive? Who am I going to mate with? And that's his whole world. That's all he can think of. He can't think of any, can't even conceive of anything beyond that. To the wagon driver, there's, there's other reality. There's a bar and there's a whole world of fun. But does that mean that there is no higher dimension? That there isn't the professors and, 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 and the world of ideas? and So too. There's a whole world of angels, a whole spiritual realm, a whole world that's beyond our grasp. It's, it's just because we can grasp it and we don't understand it and we don't appreciate it and we don't have the tools with which to grasp it, that means it doesn't exist. That means that the world of angels doesn't exist. The whole spiritual realms don't exist because we can't relate to the world of the souls and the world of angels and spiritual realms and spiritual worlds and higher dimensions of reality. We, our dimension of reality that we do operate on is, is the tiniest, most minutest. It's the bottom of the spectrum. Do you know the, the vision? The vision that we're able to see, we're only able to see the smallest spectrum of light. There's so many spectrums, there are thousands of levels beyond it. X-rays and other spectrum that we can't see because our eyes are not built that way. We don't, we don't have the vessel with which to see. But does that mean that there's nothing beyond this? And the same thing is with sound. We only hear the bottom of the spectrum. Animals are able to hear much more than humans. They hear things that we can't hear. As a matter of fact, there's a sound. There's a special sound, actually, that uh, only youngsters can hear. I think once you reach a certain age, 25, you don't even hear it. <laughs> there's a special whistle which they made. Human? Human, human, yeah that only teenagers can hear. You can't, you can't hear it. Less, less than? 50. No, even, even, even less than that. There's, there's a... <laughs> so, so, so if someone wants to fake their age, you just try, uh, try the sound. But there's so many, so, many, so, <laughs> so many dimensions. There's so many dimensions that are totally beyond our grasp. So just because it's beyond our grasp, it doesn't exist. There's a whole world, an infinite world that's all around us, that's within us, that we contain within us. But we're oblivious to it. We don't know. We don't realize. We don't grasp. We don't sense. We don't relate to it. We don't connect to it. It doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you don't feel it. That's what we call it, Seyvim Kalam. That's what we call creation is something from nothing. Something from nothing? 
we are something and the divine energy that's creating us is nothing. It's the reverse. It should be called God created nothing from something. The divine energy, that's something. And what did he create? Us. Nothing. Truly nothing. Why do we call it something from nothing? Because we can't grasp it. To us, that divine energy is a dimension that's totally transcends us, totally beyond us. It's beyond our grasp. So we call it nothing. We, we can't describe it. We can't define it. We can't relate to it. We can't connect with it. We don't sense the divine. We don't sense the divine energy. All we sense is ego, self. It's material. It's finite. It's limited. So we refer to it as nothing. From our point of view, it's something from nothing. But from the ultimate point of view, from God's point of view, it's the exact opposite. It's nothing from something. <laughs> God created nothing from something. The divine energy, that's something. So this is, these are the two dimensions, two realities. One is save of Kalalman. So by us, from our point of view, we have like a dichotomy. We have the save of Kalalman, the infinite and the finite. The all-encompassing and the internal energy force. The encircling energy and the energy that we internalize, that we can grasp, which is very finite and very limited and very minute. So he's giving an example of the earth. Let's say earth, the earth, the lowest of the elements, as well as the organic life that grows in the earth. So Hashem says that I fill all the worlds. My, I myself, and including my infinite self, my projection, infinite projection, fills all the worlds. You can find the infinite in every grain, of sand and every blade of grass and everything that exists you can find God's infinite self but nevertheless nevertheless only very limited vitality of no more than the category of what is revealed in the inanimate and vegetable worlds is closed within this world in the form of revealed influence while all the light of the blessed Ein Sof, which fills the world itself in a concealed manner, is described as encompassing it, even though it actually pervades it, since its influence is no more revealed in it than it is revealed within the inanimate and vegetable worlds, but affects it in a hidden and concealed manner. If any influence of a concealed nature is referred to as encircling from above. Alma de Kasia, the hidden world, is on a higher plane than Alma de Gaia, the revealed world. Godliness drawn down in a concealed manner from the hidden world is on a higher plane than that which is drawn down in a revealed manner from the revealed world. Emanating as it does from a higher level, this mode of divine influence is said to be encircling from above. We have the two worlds. We have the world that's called the hidden world, the concealed world. And then we have the revealed world. Just like within our world, we have the ocean, the water, the life, fish that live in water. But the fish, the creatures that live in water, are completely covered up and hidden and concealed by the water. You look at the surface of the water, you look at the ocean, you don't see the, how the ocean is teeming with life. You don't see that life that's within the ocean. All you see, you just see the ocean. And the water, the fish, the creatures of the water can survive for a moment without their life source. You take a fish out of water and it's finished. It's dead. Versus mammals or other creatures, we, although we are nourished from the earth, we are sustained from the earth, we are created from the earth, 
But nevertheless, we're not attached to the earth. We're not attached to our life source. We're independent. We roam around independently. We depend on the earth, but we're not connected to the earth, directly connected to the earth, our life source. Versus the fish are, com- are directly connected. They are swallowed up within their life source. They sense the life source. They can't exist for one moment without the life source. They are swallowed up within the life source. So too, there are two types of divine energies, two types of worlds. There's a world that's swallowed up in its divine source. It senses its divine source. So it's not separated from its divine source. There's no ego. There's no separation. It doesn't sense, it doesn't feel independent, self-sufficient independent. It senses how it's entirely dependent on its life source, on the divine energy. Versus um, our world, which is called the revealed world, in which although we are completely dependent on on the divine, but we're not swallowed up in our divine source. We don't sense the divine source. And we're disconnected. We sense ourselves, independent. We sense our egos. So these are the two dynamics, two different types of energies with which God creates the world. There's the hidden world, um, and that's the inner dynamic. That's the transcendent re- uh, energy, the energy that we, don't, that we don't sense. And then you have the revealed world, the revealed in which we're disconnected, and that's a very finite and limited um, energy. And that's the energy that's revealed, and that's the energy that we sense. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.